Weirdo bookworms, unite. We want to share our love of genre fiction with you. Some readers out there may look down on you for your love of horror, sci-fi, and fantasy, but not us. So stop by as we discuss what we've been reading. Hey, genre junkies, it's me, Sandra. And me, Scott. And we're here with another episode, and tonight is a fantasy night, and I think this episode goes live on my birthday. It does go live on your birthday. Happy birthday, Sandra. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm having such a great day, and I'm going to see Nine Inch Nails tonight. Oh, I am so excited to go see it with you. Woohoo! So if you see us out at Nine Inch Nails, say hello, and you know, of course, wish me tons of um, birthday cheer on social media, like you do. So I want to talk to you guys about our December TBR. So besides this episode, we're going to be back to kind of our our normal schedule of things. So our first book is a horror book, and it is Hark! The Herald Angels Scream. And it is a book of short stories all set around the holidays. So we got this in a mystery box, didn't we? We sure did. We decided to try out the Nightworms subscription box service of um, books, and they have a really, really fine-tuned vision for their subscription service. This isn't like other ones that are out there that have maybe burned us in the past. They're awesome. They just want to celebrate horror and horror readership, uh, which is something we can definitely get behind. You can find them on social media, Nightworms, and this was in their first box which is kind of a, a holiday theme. Now, we are not sponsored by Nightworms. Uh, we would like to be. Come come at us. Yeah, hint, hint, at us, Nightworms. But um, we love them. I've been following the ladies that are curating this box for a long time on social media, and they're the real deal. They're just super awesome horror fans that want to share the love of horror reading with their community, and we're really excited to be a part of that right now. So then the other part of December, the last episode of December, is going to be our end of year episode. Where we're going to talk about all of our favorite books of the year, all of our favorite experiences of the year. We're just going to just talk about all of our favorite stuff. And we would love to hear from you guys of some of your favorite genre reads of the year, too. And we can talk about that on our episode as well if you kind of send us some messages. And we actually have a phone number that you can call into to leave a message, and we might play it on the show. Yeah, just as long as it doesn't get, I don't know, gross or something. Well, not gross in like a horror way, but gross in like a pervy way. So I would love to just keep talking about all of this, but this is going to be a very long but very special episode, so I'd like to just get right into it. Oh, heck yes. This is a special episode. We got a really, really, really wonderful experience, which was to actually sit down and speak to the author of this book, Marit Weisenberg. Uh, So this is the select uh, duology, select and select few. We're going to be talking about both. Of course, spoilers will come at the end and we'll give you your warnings. But Mart was an amazing, just an absolute joy to speak with. She really was. And it's so exciting to to hear from authors, but particularly ones talking about their very first book, which Select was hers. So let's talk about the synopsis for Select. And I am going to read the actual synopsis of the book because I found it to be pretty succinct and pretty clear. And as we all know, this will be the first time that I've heard it, so I won't even know the difference. (laughs) Select. Julia Jaynes has the perfect life, the perfect family, the perfect destiny. The daughter of a billionaire investor in Austin, Texas, it looks like Julia has it all. 
But there's something rotten beneath the surface, dangerous secrets her father is keeping, abilities she was never meant to have, and an elite society of highly evolved people who care nothing for the rest of humanity. So when Julia accidentally jeopardizes the delicate anonymity of her people, she's banished to the one place meant to make her feel inferior, public high school. Julia's goal is to lay low and blend in. Then she meets him, John Ford. He's popular, quiet, intense, and strangely compelling. Then Julia discovers she can read his mind and her world expands. Their forbidden love is powerful enough to break the conditioning that has kept Julia in the cold grip of her manipulative father. For the first time, Julia develops a sense of self and questions her restrictive upbringing and her family prejudices. She must decide how she will define herself and whom she will betray. Wow. How could you not want to read that book? Yeah, it's it's a lot and it's a really great premise. It sure is. So let me just kind of just right out the gate. It is a sin and a shame that this book does not have more hype around it. 100% agreed. This is the level of, I really hate to make this sort of comparison, but Twilight and The Hunger Games, this is really good stuff. I mean, it's not really like the plot of either of those, but kind of, sort of. But it's that kind of uh, of zeitgeist material. Hell, you, I'm just going to jump right into appeal score. We're oh. going to break the rules. Oh, okay. I think this is absolutely a mass appeal book. No, I, I 100% agree. And since you're breaking the rules, I'm going to break the rules. It is a mass appeal book. There, I mean, if you have any remote, even sort of interest in fantasy... And romance, this is totally something you could look into. It's um, it's contemporary. I would actually, if you had to put this in a box, I would say it's contemporary new adult fantasy. What genre does books like Hunger Games and Twilight actually fall YA. into? YA. I mean, yeah, it's definitely, I mean, yes, I agree that it is YA, but it's. It's, well, no, it's, uh, here, let me just, I'm going to interrupt you. Though we hate all of these descriptions because they really limit people, it's new adult, where it's like, it's people who are not quite in the throes of high school. It's people who are like, I'm becoming an adult. You might see some sexual situations in these books and people having to make real adult choices and kind of more complex emotions. Uh, so having said that, it is a solid, star-crossed, angsty fantasy. And I don't understand why more people are not just devouring this book. Honestly, a quarter of the way through the book, I I thought at that point that, okay, th I just hadn't heard about it, but this is obviously going to be, this is obviously a big thing that just kind of made it past my radar. It's it's definitely, ha it definitely has followers. It's definitely popular, but... I this this book, it really shocks me that this hasn't become a cultural phenomenon. I agree. And it is a shame. It's not okay. And that's why we're here trying to spread the good word about this thing. So one of, I think, Mart Weisenberg's strongest points as a writer is her absolute master over characterization. I cannot believe that Julia is not a real person. Like, I don't believe that. I'm like, no, Julia's real. And she, you know, grew up in Austin, Texas. And I can tell you all about her because she's my friend on Instagram. She's real. And John Ford for me is like, that. that's my buddy. That's my best friend from high school. That's the guy that I used to hang out with. And I, I knew a lot of the, the troubles that he went through. I knew like the little fun things that he used to do. Like, th th these are these are real people. 
So you kind of see that Julia is part of something special. That's where the fantastical element comes in. And Julia is, she's something different. She's not the tried and true, same old, same old vamp or fae creature. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I absolutely love vampires and I absolutely love fae creatures. But I cannot commend Marit enough for taking a step out and being like, I'm going to make her be something else. There's so many choices that Marit makes in this book that are unique and brave. It's very easy, and not in a bad way, but it's very easy to fall back on already developed supernatural tropes like vampires, like werewolves, like uh, mutants, like all of these different things. And she takes the ideas of being a supernatural being, but creates this very unique direction for it. Yeah, I mean, it, it was really exciting for me as a reader. And again, somebody who loves those trope um, races, I guess, to be like, wow, this is something different. And that's really exciting. Can we talk about characters in specific a little bit? Absolutely. So Jane, that's our lead character. She is so likable. And she, um, like I said, she feels so real, so like an actual person. But more than that, she is a true outsider. And I think that gives her a really interesting perspective and a way she views the world and the way she views herself. And, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, I'm so awkward. I don't fit in anywhere like these characters. And it's like, no, she really is actually an outsider. She is different than her family, her race, her people. She has a completely different experience than them. And she doesn't belong anywhere. And she has to make choices that are really important and really big. And that's something that you don't really see characters in contemporary fantasy always thrown into where it's like, no, they have to make some some really tough choices. And even more impressive, even though it's very easy when you're writing an outsider to kind of have an oh, woe is me sort of attitude. But she's incredibly strong and she's she's conflicted, but she's at the same time very strong in herself. Right. And you can see how she was um, an archetype of a character who was raised a certain way to believe certain things, to be a certain type of person. And she's not that. And it really is unique because it's not surface. It never felt cheap or cheesy. It really felt like, wow, how would she kind of get through the world? How would she feel like the people that she bonds to? It makes sense that she bonds to them because she is a true outsider. And I love her entire family. I can't go into too much detail without going into spoilers, but everyone in her family is complicated and interesting, not all likable. Yeah, they're different. For a family that have similar powers, that have similar backgrounds, they they all have very different viewpoints. And it's and even the ones that you don't like, the ones that you never really like, you still relate to them. And that's really special. Yeah, no, that um that whole other kind of shadowy character we're not venturing of uh of her family unit is very, very interesting and very compelling stuff. And their beliefs that they have are very passed down and they have good evidence to support their beliefs. 
But that doesn't make it right. And I really like the main love interest, John Ford. I think that he, again, is a very deep character. He falls into the category at very first glance as being a a very kind of cool and calm, you know, cool guy. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yes. But you 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 figure out very quickly that there's a lot of very real struggles and very real very real feelings underneath all of that. I agree. I mean, of course he's nice. He's likable. He's cute. Of course he is. He's a romantic lead. But he gets to be more than that too. Again, this is um part of where the new adult thing kind of comes in for me. John is also at a precipice in his life where he's got to start making decisions of who he's living his life for. And, you know, he's had adult relationships, let's say. Like, he's not a a kid who's totally floundering and like, "Ah, I don't know who I am. Like, no, he has a pretty good idea of who he is. He's just deciding, is he going to live for himself or is he going to live for his family? Something else that's really cool about John and kind of a note on the characters in general, he's biracial. Uh, There's other biracial characters in this book. He has a brother who is gay and dating somebody who's a different ethnicity than him. And it's so totally not a big deal. And that's, it's so refreshing. Oh, it's, you know, we always like to point out when there's cool diversity representation in books and it's just normal and it just flows. Perfect example. And I want to... before I say this, I want to preface with, with with I'm down with diversity. I don't think there needs to be a reason for a character to be gay. But sometimes when you read books, it does feel like that the author just kind of threw something in there to, you know, check a box. Yeah, I we've all read books like that. I absolutely. Think. And, and I don't feel that way with his brother. I love his brother. I yeah. love his brother's boyfriend. I just I love the way that that's created. Right. Because John's family also plays an important part in these books in this duology and um, they're an interesting kind of amalgamation of characters themselves which um, I also found really refreshing there's stuff about them that's like so normal suburbia but then there's also layers and there's stuff going on and there's complications to the relationships good stuff and as deep as she is with all of her characters and as well realized as they all are the setting is so beautifully written as well I feel like I've been to Austin, Texas now. I mean, you know how I am when it comes to description. This is a very descriptive book, but it's it's at the same time just perfectly done. I, I can very clearly visualize every room that they're in without taking pages of, you know, setting to 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 do it. It's it's so good. It's just very natural. Everything about her writing style is natural That's, and organic. That is the perfect word for it. Yeah. And I'm a big fan. I think she's really talented. Um, I, I'm curious to see where else she goes in her writing career. And if you guys listen to our interview, which duh, you should, uh, it's not really heavy on spoilers. So I think you could you could dive into that. But she talks about her process as a writer and the unique road she took to writing this first book, Select. And I, I think it could be worth a listen to a lot of us uh, aspiring authors out there. So before we jump into that interview, which again is absolutely something you should listen to, uh, we haven't even given our experience scores, but I think we both know what it's going to be. I think you might be a little bit surprised. Oh, okay. So for me, 
I'm going to be totally honest, of course, as a reviewer with my experience of this book. It started for me as a good read. And then towards the end of this book, it became page turner. And then from page turner, it turned into obsession. For me, I almost think of this duology as one big book. And I was so pleased that I went on a journey with my experience from being like, oh, this is a good book. This is a solid book to being like, ooh, ooh, I, I, I want to keep reading. I want to keep learning what's happening to I just love this story. That's so funny because Select in particular, by page two, it was obsession for me. Well, there you go. I, it's immediately familiar with the you know the the whole supernatural backdrop, romance, star-crossed lovers, will they, won't they, sort of thing. Like it just it was just exactly what I wanted right then. Yeah. Uh, but it's it, it's so unique at the same time, and it immediately hits you with that that inventiveness. I was completely strapped in for the ride from the very beginning. Oh, I think that's wonderful. And I'm really happy that she could take me on a journey as a reader and as a reviewer like that. So I'm glad you had like a really good experience with it, too. Okay, guys, let's get into that interview. And then after the interview, we are going to talk spoilery things because we're going to talk about the second book, Select Few. We have a guest today. We are honored to have Marit Weisenberg, author of Select and Select Few, on with us today. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Oh, we're so excited to talk to you. We had a really, really good time reading these books. Oh, good. Yay. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) And then actually, let's just jump right into it. So, rumor has it, you wrote this novel, this novel, this novel, snovel, you wrote this novel over the course of 18 months for a class. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So, I was kind of working formlessly on this book and um, taking my time and I did not know what I was doing. It was just a lot of plot without going anywhere. And I met through the neighborhood, my uh, this woman, Amanda Airward, who is a novelist and has written, I think she's written about six or seven novels and has had a great career. And we just happened to sit next to each other at a happy hour. And she said, oh, you know, I'm a novelist. And of course, I'd heard of her. So I was such a fangirl. And I said, you know, I'm working <laughs> on one. And she said, oh, I, th- I love Amanda. She's like, this is how you do it. And she said, you know, you think of 30 scenes, um, 10 pages each, like she just broke it down. (laughs) And then I think about a week later, I happened to be standing in my front yard and which I never do. I'm not just out there. And she walked by and said, oh, by the way, I'm for the first time ever, I'm going to teach a class, write a novel or memoir. So let me know if you want to hear more about that. And I thought, oh, this is I need someone to I need to be um, on the hook for doing this, and mm. and it was amazing. It was because I paid for it. It was I think it was like Weight Watchers. You know, <laughs> I was like I am going to finish this book, and it took a lot longer. You know, six more months past mm. that year. But the funny thing was, I paid. I didn't know you could split your payment. You could pay for the class, and then you could pay for having your manuscript read. 
And I thought you had to pay all of it up front. I was, I think the only person that did that. (laughs) And so all of a sudden I was like, oh no, now I have to finish this. And so I honestly think if I hadn't paid that second portion, I never would have finished it because it's so hard. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, but the value of that class was, I was had a community suddenly I was on the hook for writing however many, it was like 30 pages every month or something she would tell us. And um, it's just accountability. And then, and she was, she's amazing at structure. And so then with the class, I had a coffee with her and she said, oh, you know, take this piece, put it there. (laughs) It was amazing. So that's, that's how it happened. So it was very serendipitous. Wow. That is awesome. That is actually like really, really cool. What a genius that lady is. She, she is a talented editor on top of being a great novelist. She's amazing. I like how you said you're you're on the hook. I think that's like the perfect. It's like paying for a gym membership or something. It's like, well, I gotta oh, yeah, go. Exactly yeah. Well, I think my husband said something kind of disparaging. Like, <laughs> you're never gonna, like, I don't know if he said you're never gonna finish it or that you're just, you know, like you're wasting money or something. But no. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> so the pressure was on, but you, you did it. On. <laughs> yeah, I did it. And then the best part was, she looked, she read it and she said, okay, lose this ending and, oh. you know, figure that out. But then why don't you start querying agents? I was like, wait, what? Wow. And so it was like permission to that, you know, to be real. And oh. um, she said, you know, fall is a great time to query agents. And so it was also the practical piece too that, you know, I think without that, I, I don't know if I would have, it would have taken me more years to go down the rabbit hole of, you know, being online and part of a writing community in Austin and and Mm -hmm. finding out that information. So, wow, that is awesome. That is a that's a good thing for people to think about who want to get into writing. There's there's more than one way to get into this thing. Yeah, for sure. What is your favorite step of the writing process now? Oh, that's so funny, because I would have said drafting. Um, Probably drafting, but you know that when when the lows of drafting can be really low. But what I do love is just being by myself and not having any, just kind of being in a hole and doing my thing. And that permission to just don't worry about it, just keep going, keep going. You, you can leave awful writing behind you, but just keep going. I, but I did this last time. I just finished something, and it was. I got so tired of being in that stage. You know, I was ready for feedback. Um, I was ready to not wake up and have fresh writing every single day. You know, because it's scary. It is like running through the woods. You know, <laughs> don't know mm-hmm. where you are. But I would say after coming out of you know the last step with the book before was copy editing, and mm. you know you just are so kind of. There are a lot of people involved, you know, or my editor's voice. And so it's nice to try and take the critic off the shoulder mm-hmm. for drafting, I would say. So I want to ask a question about uh, the book, about Select and Select View. Uh, Julia, our, our heroine, is part of a unique race of people, not the typical vampire or fairy. <laughs> uh, no. What was the inspiration for her origin? Well, I think I'd always been fascinated by those really subtle, plausible abilities. Like when you think of a song and then five seconds later it pops on the radio. And Mm -hmm. I remember in college, my ex-boyfriend, I mean, I knew when he was around before I saw him. You know, just those bizarre things and twins who feel each other, you know, their pain. 
so I love that. And I, I wanted to, tr- it was very hard to kind of capture that. Mm-hmm. I remember one editor saying to me, it's vague, you know, who, who are they? Are they aliens? Are they? But I really wanted this, this plausibility to it. Mm-hmm. And it did get pushed where the abilities are more, um, you know, big. But I did, I did want to try and have that moment of, are there people that can bend spoons? You know, mm-hmm. are there people that, you know, like my yoga teacher in LA had said that he's, he has seen people levitate. Like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I, I kind of wanted to, to think about that and create kind of this, this weirdness. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I loved it. I think it, it worked out perfectly because there's enough mystery and enough for us to kind of think about as readers, but there's still like, there's some structure and some history to her people. Uh, yeah, we were big fans of that. Oh, good. Was there any specific books or stories that you that you drew from that you can remember as inspiration for the book? Well, it's funny. I think there were the books that that took apart relationships step by step. You know, they like I I'd read that Twilight. So apparently, so two of my books that I love are Eleanor and Park, and I do the Twilight series will always have a soft spot in my heart us too and and what um i guess i just learned this on a panel rainbow rowell said that she studied those books and that what was interesting was she did not miss a beat in a relationship and mm-hmm. that you know every glance every and so and i and that's what i and it was funny because i love those two different twilight series and eleanor and park but the fact uh-huh. that then someone pointed out a commonality and i said you know i thought yes that's what i love our relationships broken down like that and mm-hmm. and seeing people fall in love so i think those two from that that aspect and then any kind of speculative fiction um because i think it scares me a little bit Mm. So this was obviously your first novel, but were you kind of always writing stories? What's was there stories as a kid that you wrote or as a teenager? Well, I think uh, I, as a kid, my friend and I, I remember one summer we watched a group of us. I mean, my parents, we, they, we just watched so much TV. It was crazy. And <laughs> I remember all of us, maybe something happened where we finally got cut off and we'd been watching soap operas. <laughs> and so we all just started writing scenes. And I remember being so happy and oh. loving that. And, um, and that feeling of creating and being with a partner. Mm-hmm. And then later, my friend Sophie and I in Latin class, we started a romance novel and we would <laughs> pass back and forth. So then I forgot about it. I knew, I always knew I wanted to write, you know, be a writer. Mm-hmm. But then for a long time, I, um, after college and then I went to film school at UCLA, I got into um, film and TV and worked at different production companies in development. So I worked with, um, would find stories and work on scripts with the writers that we would hire and, or work on, you know, my boss at the time on his projects and moving them forward. It was great because I was constantly working with story. There were other people's stories, but I was reading and reading and reading. And um, I think the advantage was, I not advantage, but I just saw working writers so I was like, oh, people do this for a living, <laughs> which is, you know, so when I started and then I, we moved to Austin for my husband's job and, um, you know, very quickly, I really missed that atmosphere and I knew that it, I needed to write. I, it was time, but then it took me another couple of years, few years to get to it. And, but it was kind of that now or never <laughs> feeling of like, now I need to do my own thing. 
Ooh, it was faded. I like it. Yeah, and then meeting Amanda. Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems to be a, a common theme uh, with the people that we've talked to that just they kind of went on to their day jobs and then finally decided one day I, I I'm good I'm gonna do this. Yeah, I think suddenly you mature and and say you know you kind of realize time time is precious. But I you know I look at when I go to conferences I see the really young writers who you know are in their twenties and this is all they've known and I think that's pretty amazing also to have this be your career from the get go. I think that's that's rare but yeah. it's also pretty amazing. That is amazing. So who are some of your favorite books and authors? And is there any book that you wish you had been the one to write? I would say the one book that I go back to over, I think about a lot is, and it's so different from anything I think I could ever write, but it's uh, Tell the Wolves I'm Home. Oh. Um, oh, I just think that is the most beautiful book. And it's so literary. It so puts you in that you know, speaking of historical fiction in that specific era in the 80s, when um, HIV was this very scary, forbidden topic, and this this girl and her uncle and their relationship, and but then his partner, the relationship she has with his partner, I, it just put me back in that time. Um, it transported me and the complicated family relationships and having the mother be this character who's Certainly, she doesn't have that many scenes, but she's also such, her development, it's just such a great, the growth of all the characters. I think that's such a beautiful book, and I think about it a lot. Um, the other one that I look at is, um, I think about is Nina LaCour's um, We Are Okay. Uh. That last chapter of that book is astonishing. Ooh. The writing, I mean, it's beautiful, but then all of a sudden that last chapter takes the whole book and elevates it, in my mind, to this whole other level of amazing story and writing. Oh, yeah. That one's been on my list. Haven't haven't read that one yet. It's but. so short, but it's, yeah, it's just packed. It's, it's really beautiful. So I think those beautiful literary novels and then... Yeah, I I have so so much respect for and you know because most of the time I'm I think as a little bit of a break I read I wouldn't say you know just more popular um adult fiction. Mm -hmm. So yeah, kind of like, like contemporary adult contemporary fiction. adult yeah. fiction. Yeah. Oh, okay. So just to take a, while I'm writing and yeah. then when I'm not writing that's when I load up and read all my YA that I've been waiting on. I <laughs> <laughs> love it. So uh Julia and John are our two romantic leads, our star-crossed lovers. They are so true and so authentic. Uh, can you talk to us about getting into your character's headspace? It was relatively easy. I So it's funny. So John, actually, his voice was also in the first book. Oh. Um, and he had some chapters, and he got taken out because the book just was long. But it was funny how John was easy for me. Julia also, I actually, I loved writing John. Mm -hmm. Julia, they were both kind of easy in some, in a weird way. They both kind of came who they were, you know, just sort of from the beginning. Yeah. But I had more fun writing John. And I especially <laughs> loved writing Angus. Like oh. he was, he was my favorite. You. <laughs> <laughs> I know because he's so, like this jerky teen boy, you know, I do not know why he was easy and fun for me to write. There actually is a relatability to, to I was going to say, Scott, do you see some of yourself um, in Angus when you were a teenager, maybe, to have that reaction? No. No, I was not. I was nothing like him. No. No. Moving on. <laughs> uh, 
So I found it impressive that you were able to nail a romantic relationship between two people where one could actually read the other one's mind. What were the biggest challenges with that? Um, I think what was really hard was a lot of what the mind reading, a lot of that had been in John's voice before. They were chapters where they were just from his POV. So then I had to take them and do some <laughs> surgery, and it was difficult and have that be what she was hearing him say. So in a way, I got his voice in there. But I mean, I think it's it's a lot of telling, you know, not showing a lot of... Uh, trying to keep their voices different. Like I remember showing my husband something and he said, they're sounding a lot alike. So mm. that was that was the tricky part. And then that kind of, I was writing them how I was hearing them. So that really freaked me out, you know, <laughs> having to kind of <laughs> take a step back and, okay, what's going on here? <laughs> I love that showing, not telling. That is so important because that's what makes, um, I think, stories fun to read is it can't just, you know, just be all exposition and then this happened and then she said this and he said that. Like, that's not fun. <laughs> right. It's not fun. And it's, yeah, that's where all that crafting comes in, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I try to slow down and think about a scene and having it, okay, basically like breaking down a scene of a play mm. and I, I hate that I just want to go straight into it and just do it <laughs> and I you know that you know it it helps if you if you kind of stage block and figure out you know how to how to show not tell but Ooh. it's hard yeah that's a really we've both done some theater and so that's like a really good visual yeah you're speaking our language <laughs> <laughs> good uh, have, have you read have you um written any plays no, but I think I read so many screenplays, you mm -hmm. know, so it it just it had to be visual and, and efficient. Yeah. So I think I'm used to it from that. So obviously, Select you wrote, you know, during this course and kind of with a mentor. So then talk to us about Select Few. Like ha that had to be really different. It was so different. Um, It was, you know, all of a sudden I had one year to write it. I think, <laughs> you know, I took my time, you know, I had to get an agent, we had to sell the book, there were, you know, it was just slower. And all those time with Amanda the year before I was working on it. So it's just, it was, you know, leisurely. And then all of a sudden, that was scary. You know, I'd never written a sequel and to have a deadline like that. And um, I mean, some people would laugh because I've met people with deadlines that were a whole lot, came a lot quicker <laughs> than a year. But it was also you know, this time I had to show an outline. I didn't have to, but I thought it was smart to show an outline to my editor of what I was thinking. So it wasn't like, you know, six months later, I show her something and she's like, this is not what we were thinking. Uh -huh. So, so luckily she was on board with my outline. It was different writing a book with an outline. I think I had the structure was, um, the plot structure was more sound, but I think I also had less fun because mm -hmm. it was stressful. Oh, mm. yeah. yeah. Not the fun kind of pressure then, I guess. Not the fun kind of pressure. And I could hear, I could hear the more of the critics' voices at that point, you know, of my editor, my agent. You know, all of a sudden you have a team and yeah. it's not just fun and games anymore. Right. So, Ooh, very interesting. The plot thickened. The plot thickens. The plot thickened. <laughs> but it's cool. It's cool to know also that um, if I have to, I can do it. Heck yeah. Yeah. Deadlines are interesting. <laughs> <laughs> They're, they're good for some reasons, for sure. Right. So speaking of deadlines, do you have any hints about future projects? Yeah, I'm working on right now a book about um, two insomniacs on a cul-de-sac. 
<gasps> so it's a contemporary. Oh, so yeah, that, so a departure from what I've done. Oh, that's cool though. There is kind of a weird magic about insomnia for anyone that suffered through it in life. Oh yeah, well it was kind of my one of my best friends growing up. She is an insomniac, and she she just had this whole other life at night. And so, you know, in in high school, I'd see all of a sudden, you know, how do you know that person? And wait, you're dating that guy? I mean, because <laughs> she could carry on at night, you know, on the phone and there was some maybe sneaking out, you know, but <laughs> it was sure. like, wow, you are having, it's a double life thing, I think is what fascinates me. Yeah. Ooh, that'll be cool. We'll look forward to that. Um, so are you going to be going on tour? Are you going to be traveling around? Can people meet you? Or if they can't meet you, where can we find you on the internet? I will be, I've um, already done some different conferences. And I think coming up, I'll be in Corpus Christi. Um, probably right now, this place to find me is Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of my most active. It's Marit Weisenberg. Also, my website, maraweisenberg.com. Well, next time you come to California, you'll have to let us know so we can come oh, and see Oh, I know, because you. you guys live in just about the best place ever, so <laughs> um, the best region. So, yeah, I would love that. Thank you so much for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it, too. Right. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening. If you haven't yet, read Select and then the brilliant sequel that just came out very recently uh, in October, Select Few. We're back. Welcome to the spoiler section. So at this point, you've read Select. You've read Select Few. You've listened to the interview. So let's just talk about all that stuff that happens. So as I kind of indicated, I was so into the second book because already by that time, I was already at an obsessive level before I started it. But so then the second book was just completely candy to me. I feel like it just it had such a good pace. It reminded me of my running. I start with a little walk, a little warm up, and then I have a rhythm and I'm just in the zone. I'm really surprised because I thought your trajectory was going to go exactly the opposite. No. M- mine kind of did. I still found Select Few to be a, a page turner for me. But there's a few choices that are made in there that are kind of just a personal uh, problem that I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have some difficulties with some of the the themes that are presented in the book just in general when I'm reading, particularly second and third books of a series. But I still think it's really great. I, I want to point that out. But I know the thing that that I had trouble with in the second book is actually really one of your big things. So what I'm surprised this? it didn't bother you. What? Okay. Um, The main characters are split up for most of the book. No, 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 no. See, that's where you got me all wrong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because part of what made this book so compelling was the flipping back and forth between Jane telling us what's going on and John talking in her head. That is such a great literary device that she used. Oh, it's brilliant. And again, this is where you see her characterization as a writer is 
freaking phenomenal. John's voice is so his own. Jane's voice is so her own. And, you know, we say things like star-crossed lovers, and I mean it, but they are so their own separate, unique people. That's why I thought it was so funny in our interview that she said that she had trouble separating their voices, that at the beginning they sounded like the same person, because to me, they were just... They could have been written by different people. No, I totally agree with that. Now, see, what Scott is referring to is sometimes in epic fantasy, when there's over several books generally, I get really stressed out and it really triggers my anxiety when people in the party get separated, especially like the love interests. And it's like one of them ends up, you know, being trapped in a jar or, you know, you know what it is? I No, no, we can pinpoint this. Animorphs. Freaking Tobias <laughs> getting turned into a bird. And I was like, well, so when does he become not a bird? He doesn't not become, he doesn't become not a bird. He's and a I'm bird not now. A, and I wasn't okay with this and I was traumatized. I just, I like people. Like you can go on your adventures. You can do all that. You can be separated. But let me know the connection is still there between the characters and there will be resolution. They will meet again face to face. We will get everybody in the same room. I can't stand this. Oh, well then she she's trapped in a, you know, a magician's magical orb for three books i can't handle that that's fair i I guess i guess i misunderstood what your issue is for me it it did sap a little bit of the enjoyment from the book for me i love the interaction between those two so much and she does a great job of bringing in that literary device of him basically having a monologue in sentences between the chapters that gives you context to what's happening but i just i loved their interaction so much that it was something that i really missed in the second book but Hmm, interesting that said i think we're both saying there's a fear when you read a first book of a series of what has become a series that oh the 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 new the second and third book they're just they're not going to live up to it and just kind of ruin the experience they this does not oh no not at all um one thing i kind of had an aha moment when i read this book Uh (laughs) aha you know sometimes in books especially seems to be more like in fantasy there's some sort of crux that happens where characters have a chance to tell the truth about something or they don't and the entire rest of the story becomes about that lie that unsaid thing that the character had a chance to confront and didn't and then it's kind of a misunderstanding so here's my thing i used to be annoyed by that and as i've grown older and wiser (laughs) as you know it's my birthday i've come to understand that's something that actually happens in real life that's yeah that's kind of real life that happens a lot there's a lot of things that are just kind of too complicated to put into words. Right. And so people can't find the words. We can't find the emotions. And we end up omitting or straight up lying to our partner, to our friend or our family. And then this time passes and it's deeper and it's deeper. And, you know, as a reader, you're like screaming at the character. Oh, my God, just tell the truth. Just just come out with it. But it's like, no. They don't, because that's something people do in real life. They're afraid or they're protecting someone. And so they don't. And people let these lies and these misunderstandings fester. And I was like, I can't be annoyed by this in books anymore because I totally freaking see it now that that's real life. That is a completely 
valid point that you have. It does bother me in books when the the main crux of the plot is built around uh, mistruths and could just be solved by people talking. But oh yeah, you need more than that. Where Marit goes right in this is that every untruth, every secret that's kept in these books, they're understandable. They're weighty. They're weighty things. They're they're absolutely almost acceptable. Right, because you can totally see where that person's coming from. I guess there was never a point in in the second book, which is built around some untruths that I felt, oh, just 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 tell them, just tell them, just tell them, just say it, because the things that are unsaid are very complicated emotions. One thing that I like is it's equal opportunity too in this book, because Jane is keeping and omitting things from John, but John is also doing the same to her. And I liked that it wasn't just the male doing it or just the female doing it. Like, no, they're both not being completely forthright. And you understand their reasons why. John a little less so. John, I was a little bit more like, John, just tell her, damn it. But still. There's one thing in particular that I feel like John could have just said, but it's fine. I can I'm it's not a problem. In some respects though it really served the their relationship in the future because some of the things that he's not sharing with her serves eventually for him to learn what she has gone through her entire life. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, it totally serves a point. Can we talk a little about spoilers surrounding characters? Let's Okay, let's, let's talk about at, the elephant in the room. Let's at this point take all the spoiler gloves off. Yeah, no, 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 I agree. Well, let's talk about Angus. Oh my God, Angus. What a fantastic character to add into this series, especially in the second book, to give it a lot of flavor. I deeply dislike Angus, but I really like the way that he's written. Does that make sense? Well, yes, because he's a good character and because he adds a really important dimension to the storytelling. He is her connection to her family, to the life she could have. And that's that's really powerful. When he's complicated because he's still a young person and he's still going through this, he's learning that, okay, I'm part of this like elite race of people and I was one of like the most talented. I was stamped down, but he's still kind of like he liked having tribe. He liked having community, but he doesn't want to be a puppet. There's a lot of stuff going on with him that you're like, I I get this. I see this. I see the void he filled for Jane. I see how Jane filled the void for him. I see his attraction to live. Like, I can really understand a lot of his stuff, even though he's a little bit of an ass. And there's a certain honesty to writing an 18-year-old male. Um, I think it's possibly more accurate for a little bit younger as well. But to, oh, I can't be with this girl that I really like, but this girl's really cool too. And and that that's fine too. And 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 this this is this is good too. This is good. This is fine. I can work with this. Yeah, he's going through a lot of stuff. A, a lot of stuff. And he's handling it the way he best can. I mean, just like he is her last connection to to her old life and the life that she could be living, she's also his only connection that he has left. Yeah, they're they're a lifeline for each other in this book, and it really serves the plot, and it serves each of these characters. I really want to talk about Elizabeth. Oh. So that's, of course, Jane's biological mother. Yes. Um, 
really interesting. Um, I I found it really interesting. I found it very complicated on a personal level as well. There's a lot of um emotions that I really relate to when they first meet. Mm. Um, it's definitely it's different. It's it's reversed than what you would normally anticipate with a with a meeting of a you know a long lost parent, if you will, <laughs> and <laughs> and a child. Uh, but she. She really, I really should have asked her if she had, if she was adopted or had been uh, involved in that, because there's a lot of really complicated emotions and, and none of them are clean and none of them are, are easy. Yeah. Um, and this I, really yeah. captures that, that feeling. No, I, I agree. I really liked that their relationship, um, Jane and Elizabeth at the beginning is very strained and it's from conditioning and it's from how they've both lived these past <laughs> 18 years this past lifetime of what they had to do to cope and what they had to do to get through. And I like where their relationship goes. And I like that there is an open door for there to be more stuff, but it's not forced. It's not cheesy. And it's not wrapped up in a bow. No, it's not neat or tidy at all. And, but it's just, it's real and it's not angry and it's not like overly like, emotional you know cloying stuff and it's so crazy because it's like this is a fantasy being this is a this is a girl who's half mortal but i mean really she she's not like she's a supernatural creature but she still has this their interaction is very i keep saying the word unique but it is it's their interaction their relationship is a product of the genre that this book falls into but the emotions behind it the feeling that you get is so genuine and really that that's that's the best word that i can think of for both of these books in general is genuine everything behind it while being fantastical and being amazing and being over the top at times is at its core just very true let's talk about novak and purists in general um i loved this idea of this tribe of people evolved from you know peru into what we see now people who've tapped into something where they can do more than the rest of us um i found that really fascinating and i see how they could become this elitist snobby sort of group i see how they could forget about the rest of humanity i can see how they would want to build a bunker because they're like well clearly we're screwing over the world so let's just keep ourselves safe let's just do what we have to do to survive even if that means kidnapping young men for breeding purposes which is so gross but what a great role reversal too that it's a boy that gets kidnapped for that but anyway i digress um thoughts on that i think just the origin story of that family is fascinating but what i found interesting when i was reading it is their combination of a persecution complex and a superiority complex those are big words i, I suppose they are but it's you know it must be it would it's how i could imagine a group like that who was almost murdered to extinction genocide they say when they are unequivocally 
unquestionably better than everyone else. Right. At their abilities. More powerful, at least. And that would, it's very alien. They are very alien. They're very different. And even, even Jane, who ends up being different, who ends up being more, more a, a bridge between both worlds, she reads as very alien, especially for a large portion of Select. And it's it's just it's it's so fascinating and and weird. I liked learning a lot about young Novak and Novak and Elizabeth. I thought all of that stuff is really interesting. You and loved about- Novak, didn't you? Huh? You loved Novak, didn't you? He I, is your absolute okay. type of villain. By the end of the second book, I loved Novak. I had a, I went back and forth on him so many times because I do think he's a good villain. I think he's complicated and layered and has a lot of stuff going on. And I love that. Um, I loved his ending, his swan song, his final fuck you to the world. I'm just going to lock myself in this cave underneath the earth and I'm just going to leave you all to it. Yes, exactly. But he was a really good example of the old school feelings of their people. And it's really interesting how, you know, the young ones want to go with Jane and they kind of want to integrate and they kind of want to grow. And the adults are kind of like, uh, we're going to keep on hiding. And then there's Novak who's like, I'm going to be in my fortress of solitude. It just shows um, a really interesting progression for those people. But um, he's a good example of carrying on this lineage and heavy is the head that wears the crown. He's at times uh, confusing, though, because he he bounces, and, and this is again very human, but he bounces between being a uh, a power hungry monarch to being a wanting the best for his people and thinking that he truly knows what is right and what is best for for the people around him. It's they're conflicting viewpoints that mix together very well in this one character. Well, right, and that's what makes you kind of vacillate on him because you're like, oh, he's horrible, and then you're like, is he horrible? Is he making the right decisions for them? Like, I mean, and then you're like, okay, yeah, he's a total mad king. He's trying to stomp down anybody that has more power than him, but then he's like also trying to make the best decisions for the group. I mean, because on the one hand, sure, building a cave system hundreds of feet underground that's made to simulate uh, nature and that's where we're going to be locked in till the end of time doesn't sound like a great idea but he thinks that that is the best solution and so whether he's right or wrong that is something that at least you can relate to the fact that he he thinks this is the best thing for his people but then he's also doing the act of neutering the strongest of the next generation and i don't understand why i think it's just because he wanted to remain in power um and i actually kind of gleaned that from the book pretty well um he wants to keep running things his way the way he feels is the right way um which even includes kidnapping people with extraordinary abilities manipulating them or whatever and trying to get them to breed it's really really insidious but god such a good character sandra likes the cold uh brooding villain she also likes the cackling just wants to see the world burn sort of villain but i do but you tend to like those those very cold hard exterior villains hey what can i say villains i'm with the villains 
Well, man, I feel like we've kind of freaking covered everything. Um, Oh, my God. One last thing. I learned a lot about tennis in this book. And it was cool that the main characters, again, have a unique hobby. They play tennis. That's kind of different. We we always li- like it when the characters have real, genuine hobbies. And it makes me want to want to play tennis. <laughs> I've always kind of wanted to play tennis. I've always kind of wanted to take tennis lessons. So it's like really interesting. I'm like, I learned so much. Have fun with that. (laughs) I'll take Amanda, not you. I don't know if Amanda would like tennis. Yes, she and I have talked about tennis lessons. I th- I would think that she'd be way too competitive to get into well, competitive sports with you. We're gonna play together. We're gonna take on other people as or doubles. Doubles. Yeah. Okay. That's the goal. Um, I'm gonna kick us off in the execution scores here. So for me, again, the strongest, most beautiful point of this book for me was the characterizations. Really fell for a lot of the characters. I found them beautifully written, uniquely written, really, really exciting stuff. I found the race of the purists to be completely fascinating. And I liked all the things that Marit had to say, supernatural and real in this book. It took me on a great journey. So I'm going to give it eight and a half ancient Peruvian gold pieces out of 10. Um, We don't have an official checklist for execution, but in every category that I can think of, select excels. We talked about it. It has really complicated characters, really excellent interactions, wonderful description. I was completely engrossed by everything that she that 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 Mart put in front of me. I am going to give a very rare 10 out of 10. Damn. I am a super fan. Oh. I can't wait for her next book. I can't wait for her next 10 books. <laughs> this was really powerful to me for some reason. I it just it, it I'm trying to be objective in this as well. Even with my few problems, my my stress that was involved with the main characters <laughs> not being together, it's not even that I can't think of how I wanted this to be better. I could never have gotten to this point ever. If it was written worse than this, I couldn't think of how it could have gotten to this. That's how good this was to me. That is a shining, beautiful endorsement of this book. And I think it's safe to say we both liked this thing. We hope you did too, because you made it this far with us. Let us know how you feel. Um, Thank you again, Marit, for, you know, writing this book and sharing it with us in an interview too. We really, really appreciate your time. It was a pleasure, as it always is. But particularly for me, this has been a great experience. And I love your books. I love your books. We love your books. Go Purists. <laughs> All right. That having been said, happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to you. And please keep reading past your bedtime. So I have a question. Keep the mic on. Yes. I have a question. Hold on. Would you rather be a purist or a human in love with a purist? Um, I would probably rather be a human because I don't want to turn out like Novak and I don't want to have that pressure of being a purist. But I don't know. It'd be cool to move shit with my mind. Yeah, I want to be a purist. I have to say, I agree with Angus. If I was a purist, I would go live in the woods and I would do cool shit. 
totally live off the land, awesome, crazy guy in the woods. No, that's true. We'd probably start a really extreme fringe commune situation. It would be really beautiful. It could just be the two of us. We don't need to make a whole, like, thing out of it. (laughs) Good night.